I sometimes have a hard time listening when something is read. My mind wanders, and I confess, yes, sometimes even in church, did I lock my car? Is my phone off? Wow, look at the light in those windows. <laughs> and then I hear, we hear something, a word or an image that snaps us back. And we get that puzzling task of trying to figure out where were we? Maybe it was a word or an image that sent us off thinking, triggering a feeling or a memory or perhaps an anxiety, and we're off pondering, then we hear something. In this morning's gospel, there are a couple of whoppers that Jesus says that can bring us back. Satan, perhaps, people who can never have forgiveness or guilty of eternal sin, what? Never get forgiveness? Doesn't Scripture say God's love is for all? That our sins are forgiven? Well, we've been off wandering. The previous line actually says, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. And woe to us if we actually were wandering off and heard that uh, no forgiveness of sin part, because the next thing Jesus talks about is family, and there's no explanation. So what do we do with Jesus holding these seemingly contradictory ideas, people being forgiven no matter what, and others unforgiven eternally? So what is sin? How can forgiveness and unforgiveness coexist? At its core, sin is turning our backs on God, walking away from God, turning away from the life-giving love of God that's available to all. Sins are those things done and left undone that separate us from the love of God. Yet that very word sin, that conjures up so much stuff for us, centuries of interpretation, application, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. In some corners of Christendom, sin has been the near-exclusive focus of preaching and teaching. Some of us have absorbed that so much we carry the burden of considering ourselves horrible at core, not good enough, never good enough. And then we can't hear the good news of Christ anymore. And then others of us come from a different corner where the word sin is avoided. Because in modern parlance, it can be, as one person wrote, a trigger word. The writer Kathleen Norris tells a story of a pastor who decided to change the confession we do after the prayers of the people, before the peace and communion because, you know, sin's a trigger word. Now, we usually say, and what we say here is, Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Well, this pastor changed the confession to start with, our communication with Jesus tends to be too infrequent to experience the transformation in our lives you want us to have. I lied. Oh yeah, that was my interruption of communication with Jesus. I stole another communication problem there. 
in all fairness, we could maybe think of sin as hanging up on Jesus, ignoring God's emails, or giving up on texting the divine. But sin, walking away from God, turning our backs on that divine love, let's reclaim that word. God's love knows no bounds. God wants us to grow into the beloved, beautiful creatures God created us to be in God's image. So what's happening in Scripture this morning that leads Jesus to say that for some there can never be forgiveness? Here's the background of the scene because you won't get it if you go home and just read the section we read today. We're only in the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus has already made his divine power manifest. The blind have received sight, lame able to walk, lepers cleansed, and the possessed restored to new normal life. His power was so undeniable right there, chapter 3, that a huge crowd was following him. Crowds that were so huge that right before this passage, Jesus had to hop into a boat for fear of being crushed by them. Jesus, in chap by chapter three, already has appointed 12 apostles, and unclean spirits are falling before him saying, you are the Son of God. Chapter three in Jesus' actions are also challenging temple leadership. He'd forgiven sins. He'd eaten with sinners. He'd broken Sabbath law. He's basically transgressing religious law as the scribes understood it, and they were not happy. So in today's passage, Jesus is returning to his hometown, his family of origin, with the whole huge crowd following, and then the temple scribes following along from Jerusalem, because they are questioning, the scribes are questioning Jesus' authority. And we have a scene here where both Jesus' family, the people in the home and his people in the hometown, and the religious authorities are ascribing this divine stuff he is doing, these wondrous acts, to something other than God. So his family tries to restrain him, and the people in the town are exclaiming, he has gone out of his mind, ascribing what Jesus is doing to being out of his mind. And the scribes from Jerusalem take it a step further. They declare his undeniably powerful acts, and the enormous crowd that's following must be because Jesus is empowered by Satan. So not only is there total rejection in the face of evidence of God's love, the scribes, the religious authorities, are saying Jesus' power comes from the ruler of demons. This is the heart of what Jesus is saying is unforgivable. Being locked in a perception of the world that is so rigid that even in bold evidence of God, that's perceived as a work of darkness. Unforgivable, the inability, complete inability to see the Holy Spirit in action and declare that Holy Spirit as demonic.
This, in a sense, is a definition of hell, an eternal space of our own creation, a space devoid of the ability to see love acting in the world, and a space rigidly guarded by, by our own fierce determination that we are right. It's a conviction that all good is actually evil. C.S. Lewis describes hell as a state of mind. He writes that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. God's love is out there, abundant, yet we've locked ourselves in. Theologian Rowan Williams writes that the most truthful image we can have of hell is of God eternally knocking on a closed door that we are struggling to keep shut. Forgiveness is outside that door. Love, abundant love is outside that door. Yet inside, life in an isolated room, feeling like eternity, alone, where we make sure the locks are on and we fight to keep God out. In there, there's not possibility for the soul to be liberated and to be transformed by the love of God. Now, I believe all doors can be open, that Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, reveals such hope and bears witness to God's liberating love, freeing all sorts of people from the Hebrew Scriptures on forward, freeing all sorts of people into new life. And we've seen it operate in our lifetimes. Fiercely closed doors, locked, rigid, by, and held closed by both secular and religious authorities. We've seen some of those crack open. Today, our ranks are a little bit thin because some in our community are out at LA Pride, and they are proclaiming God's love for all. And let's just take a look at where we are today vis-a-vis -vis granting full dignity to the entire LGBT community. It's very different from when I was growing up and from when many of us all were growing up. We have same-sex marriage. We have LGBTQ clergy and bishops. And yes, we have more work to do, but God's liberating message of love has turned hearts who could not see that the love between two souls is love. God's liberating power of love has knocked so strongly on the doors of homophobia that they've been cracking open and changing people's lives. And pride today is so different than the very first pride parades in 1970 in Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Those parades in the 70s and early 80s were radical events. They banged on the doors of oppression and hatred by bringing love into the open. So our invitation this morning is to keep our own eyes, ears, and hearts open to seeing God's loving hand, loving, liberating, and life-giving hand in the world today. And we need to be especially attentive to those edges where we might be kind of like the scribes. Where do we have blinders on? 
how might we be operating with pretty deep misunderstanding of the good news in Jesus Christ? Where may we be attributing acts of God to non-God? And we have many fronts to work on in our world today. Yet we also have many allies in Christ helping us along. And our mission is to do like what our folks are doing and so many folks are doing at Pride today in our city and are doing this month in Pride events all around the nation. Our mission is to proclaim God's love in our actions, in our deeds, and especially to those who've had religion used as a weapon against them. Now, our presiding bishop is one of the leading lights in this. He's joined leadership from many parts of the Christian tradition in an effort they're calling Reclaiming Jesus. He and leaders from other denominations and from some evangelical megachurches see our nation in a crisis of moral and political leadership. Leadership at both the highest levels of government and the highest levels of churches. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like Jesus was, what Jesus was encountering? Political powers oppressing others, a rigid religious establishment unable to see the truth in God? So these leaders have created what is called, what they've called a confession of faith in a time of crisis. They believe that the soul of our nation and the integrity of our faith is at stake. So they've drafted this powerful, biblically rooted document with a whole series of we believe statements. We believe we are created in God's image. We are all human beings with dignity. We are one body. We know we are called to treat the hungry, poor, and oppressed as we treat ourselves and one another. And each of these I believes is followed by a therefore we reject. As Christians, we reject xenophobia, misogyny, racism, all the powers of this world that deny the dignity and fullness of each person. And that's in, in rejection, be it from a pulpit, be it from theologies, be it from political policies. This is our call. This is a call we can join. Reclaim Jesus. Proclaim that God's love is for all. Step out in action where we can see God's hand in the world and join that action. Be the light of Christ. That's our mission. That's our call. For God's love is for all. Amen.